Hello, everyone, and welcome to Metal Movers podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Argus Media, a leading independent provider of energy and commodity pricing and market intelligence. My name is Anu Ramanathan, and I'm a deputy editor in the minor metals world. And uh, joining me today is uh, Thomas Kavanagh, our associate editor and battery metal specialist. Hi, Tom. Welcome. Hey, Anu. Um, in this episode of Metal Movers, Tom and I will be taking a closer look at two of the key battery metals, lithium and cobalt. Both these metals have uh, seen rapid price increases this year because of increased demand and tight supply. So let's dive uh, deeper into each of these metals and their supply-demand landscape. So Tom, let me ask you, um, what does demand look like for lithium in the near term? And where's all the supply coming from to meet this demand? Yeah, lithium's had an interesting year. Um, the prices for lithium surged over the last year. Uh, they hit a record high of 25 to $25.50 per kilogram SIF China on, on 16th of November, um, which is an increase of around 229% from January's average of $7.68 per kilogram um, SIF China. Uh, I think it's really interesting. I mean, the reason why this is obvious is because of the uh, the electric vehicle revolution and, you know, the sort of compounding speed of of that. The changes which have taken place in China and Europe have gone beyond um, anyone's expectation over the last couple of years. I think people didn't anticipate just how quickly companies and consumers would adopt these vehicles, especially in light of the pandemic um you know the wider impact of the pandemic on wider car sales just hasn't been seen in the electric vehicles market in fact it's gone from strength to strength and um, that has meant that lithium has struggled to keep up with the growing momentum in that market Right. And this obviously uh, translates into actual uh, demand figures for next year. It's um, SQM, one of um, lithium's producers, have uh, have targeted an increase um, to 180,000 tonnes by next year, uh, lithium carbonate equivalent. Uh, what else are you hearing for further out um, in the mid-2020s? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I mean, they... SQM being one of the biggest producers in the world, uh, as you said, have forecast a 50% rise in their um, in their output by the end of next year, and they expect you know demand to increase on a par with that. I think uh, there are other producers looking to open sort of in the mid-decade to try and keep up with this trend in Europe and the US, um, but at the moment uh, those projects aren't online and they're not going to be online in sort of 2022 23 so you're looking by the middle of the decade for some of these uh, localized projects in Europe and the US to come online but in the meantime the market remains quite concentrated in in terms of projects in Australia Chile and and mainly you know China with their own supply for themselves uh, I think that means that we may well fall into a deficit over the next uh, couple of years, maybe even next year. So one day, you know, hopefully those products are, will come online and keep up with the uh, surge in demand. But at the moment, we could see a deficit forming in the market um, in the next couple of years. 
That seems to be the general um, expectation from the market as well. Uh, there's a, an Australian company, Orcobra, and they've said that um, they expect deficit to rise to more than 20% over the next five years. Um, we've also seen that new projects are in Europe and the US, so maybe the concentration of lithium projects might not only be in Australia, Chile and China, but also in Europe and the US. Are there any other sort of um, exports that you'd see coming online in, in the near future? Yes, I think so. there are some large projects coming online at the end of uh, 2022 in Australia. The Wagina Spodumene project with 750,000 tonnes per year, um, which is a joint venture between um, US-based Albemarle and uh, Australia's Mineral Resources. Uh, Albemarle's also raising its capacity at La Negra and uh, the four, uh, La Negra 3 and 4 projects in Chile, um, which will have a combined capacity of 40,000 tonnes per year for lithium carbonate when commercial operations begin in the first half of 2022. Um, again, you, that's concentrated supply in, in Australia and Chile, so it remains to be seen whether the market can spread out more. Um, and one of the important things to note is that a lot of the battery producers are looking for localised lithium supply um, to cut down on their carbon footprint. So I think they'd be more keen to use the, uh, you know, US and um, European battery producers would be more keen to look towards the more localised suppliers when it comes, when they come online in the middle of the decade. And another thing that uh, I think the uh, all the new markets um, EVs, automotive, any um, of the electronics metals, you see that sustainability is a key um, key concept in all of these mining projects, or at least your supply chain. Um, and given that one of the primary sources of this metal is in Chile, how how does Chile control these this production, and how how much does it account for in terms of global supply? Yeah, I mean, the exports from Chile uh, account for around 65% of global lithium carbonate supply from January to August, and 61% of that was to China and South Korea. So, again, it's, it's still a pretty centralised um, global supply chain at the moment. I would expect that that would uh, open out over the next few years. Again, and um, while China can probably get plenty of its... Um, lithium from Chile and its own resources, European gigafactories, US gigafactories are going to be looking towards, you know, those projects in Germany and Nevada and places like that. So we're going to see higher demand, um, tighter supply, possibly a deficit in the near term, but also a diversification of sources of supply into various other regions other than Australia, Chile and China um, yeah. in the near term. Yeah, and if prices stay the way they are, you know, the incentive is there for these producers in Europe and the US to continue. Um, if prices fall back down, then it would be more difficult to see a, uh, you know, profits at those producers. So uh, it's, it's in the interest at the moment for those prices to stay high so they can justify investment decisions and, and so forth. And it's a similar story with cobalt, isn't it? With prices rising, first the question is, where is production uh, going to ramp up from? And is this price uh, rise sustainable in the near term? What are your mm -hmm. thoughts? 
Yeah, so we just saw Cobalt Metal pass $30 per pound. Um, and it's been rising steadily over the last few months, basically because of uh, a tightness in the metal market. You know, China are importing a lot more metal. They don't see a profit case for producing their own metal from hydroxide because hydroxide prices and payables are so high at the moment. Um, so the metals market's quite tight. Um, speaking to you know, industry participants, there are a lot of large consumers that have either signed long-term contracts for cobalt metal or are looking to sign long-term contracts and have failed to sign them um, over the last month. So that tightness is probably going to translate to next year as well. When large consumers are in the market, sort of chemical producers, battery producers are in the market looking for cobalt metal, it looks as though they're now trying to pick up as much cobalt units as possible, not dependent on what type of metal they use. So traditionally, it would be briquettes and cut cathode that they've been using to dissolve to sulfate. Whereas we just saw with the, uh, the deal between Frere and Glencore that they were happy to take on some more of that alloy grade material, which means that the producers of alloy grade, you know, the producers of super alloys who use the alloy grade material might may find that they come into competition now with the uh, with the cobalt chemical producers for the battery market, which again just adds to the the tightness and the and the pressure on prices to rise. And that's from sort of the um, demand side. What about the supply side with uh, in, from DRC? Are they, uh, we've recently heard that the DRC mining ministry is uh, revising some of its contracts and probably um, you know suspending some of the already awarded mining licenses. Is that going to play a role um, in the near term? Well, they've made noises about reviewing some of these contracts that were set up under the old Kabila regime. Whether they follow through with that is another story. There tends to be periodic noises from the um, DRC government about renegotiating contracts and, and things like that. But they usually come to some sort of agreement with the mining companies. So because it's not in their interest to shut down these mines, right, they, they are some of the biggest sort of industries in the DRC so I, I mean it's it's worth watching but I, I wouldn't say that they're going to shut down the mines as of yet it's just that they are looking to review some of these contracts that were awarded the bigger problem in the DRC is actually to do with you know ramping up mines so Matanda was supposed to be ramping up next year I mean it will do and it is producing material um, but it can be difficult for mines in the DRC to get the staff in to be able to ramp up properly and there's also logistical issues with equipment and moving material across borders and, and things like that um, and COVID restrictions as well so it's not an easy time to ramp up a mine in the DRC um, but it is necessary to continue keeping up with um, the demand growth for cobalt. So that's why we're seeing a tight hydroxide market and then in turn a tight uh, metals market as well. And that seems to be the case with the, the reflection on the pricing. Prices go up and once they reach a particular level, you see that more uh, production gets ramped up to meet the increased demand. Where are you seeing the uh, risks in the near term for the cobalt market? 
I think that the period of maximum risk for a sort of a sudden surge in prices would probably be just before Chinese New Year and the Olympic um, the Olympic Games. I think that traditionally in that period, there's quite a lot of um, buying interest and buying interest from in, a, in such a tight market as cobalt at the moment could probably lead to, to price increases. But then cobalt rising too fast is not in the interest of some cobalt producers because it, it does then lead to the risk of uh, cobalt replacement, battery makers looking at their um, chemical mix and, and seeing LFP or, or sort of lower cobalt chemistries as a more attractive um, battery chemistry. So there are those things to consider as well, um, but it's a tight market and, and there, there could definitely be some price increase during that period. And it's interesting you say that um, once the prices start increasing or the the swift increase in prices means that the, the industry might start looking for replacement options but in this in one particular case Johnson Matthey has taken an entire U-turn by planning to sell its battery business Um, what has what have you heard in the industry and how has the response been to this I think for Johnson Matthey I mean their share price tanked afterwards um, and that's because they were pulling out of a future industry with huge growth potential but I think for them, looking at some of the other producers um, already established in the market, you know, your large Chinese firms like CATL and uh, others like BASF, they just concluded that they couldn't build a business that was competitive enough. Now, whether that has anything to do with environmental uh, worker safety legislation, um, things like that is, is yet to be seen. I think they're project was obviously in the UK so they potentially wouldn't be subject to EU legislation in that regard but then maybe they they felt they couldn't be competitive because of um of issues surrounding Brexit it was i think for them they justified the decision because they thought that they would be better off focusing on hydrogen and other things that they have more experience in but it's definitely a blow to the UK um, sort of independent battery supply chain and now it just remains to be seen whether they can find a viable buyer for their battery business. And this obviously spells uh, an opportunity for other companies to step in. Are there any companies in who would be interested in this battery business or who compete in the same uh, space as them? There's plenty of companies that are probably looking at it. I couldn't give you any names of the companies that would be looking at it right now, but I'm I'm sure that, uh, you know, some different chemical producers and and maybe even gigaplants would be looking at the the business and saying, well, maybe we could benefit from from owning some of these assets. But, uh, yeah, it remains to be seen. Um, well, that's that's an interesting uh, news as well for uh, for the market, seeing that there's a company which is selling one, as you said, a, a growth um, industry. Um, so just to sum up, lithium demand's going up uh, in the near term, but there's possible supply deficit in the market coming. 
in, we might see more projects coming online as prices go up. It's a similar picture for cobalt as well, um, with prices rising. But the question is um, whether other companies and consumers would start looking at um, replacing uh, cobalt with another metal or materials for uh, in the battery space, which would actually then go on to hit demand. Thank you all for listening to our podcast. And if you want to hear more um, about various other uh, metals and commodities, please go to argusmedia.com. Mm-hmm.